I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. I'm John Patrick Higgins. These are my strange stories. Why not relax, kick off your shoes, and enjoy the peculiar worlds inside my head? Inside John Patrick Higgins. The Narwhal. I'll have that one, said James. The salesman narrowed his eyes. Are you sure, sir? he said. It's a trifle ambitious. James wasn't listening. He had fallen in love. I want that one. The assistant smiled and nodded, his hands clasped in front of him. I really feel it would be in your best interest to look at a different model, sir. This is rather advanced for the first-time buyer. Could I ask you to reconsider the Palomino? It's very popular. James looked at the salesman and said in a firm, quiet voice, I want the narwhal, so get me the narwhal. I really don't see your problem. It's twice the price of any of the others. Where's your business now, man? You wouldn't last five minutes in the city. James had lasted far longer than five minutes in the city. After being physically ejected from school at sixteen, his matching luggage hurled over the school gates behind him, references had not been forthcoming. Luckily, James's father had a lot of friends in the city, and a lucrative banking job was immediately produced, and he slotted neatly into that world. He thrived. He was a natural-born banker. He played the markets like Paganini on a banjo. It was too easy. Money flew to him, like cabbage greens nudging at the light bulb of his genius. Money adored him. It rang him up in the middle of the night. Money wrote anxious, needy blogs about him. It was exhausting. In the end, James just sat back and let money get on with it. He could have drowned himself in the stuff. James smelled of money. Quite literally, his bespoke perfumer's florist of German Street had distilled a woody, musky scent for him called Cash Money Down. It smelled powerfully of wet newspaper in a forest glade. 
James House was a very wealthy man. But was he happy? No, he was not, because James House felt short-changed by nature. He was too short, his teeth were stained and uneven, his hair was thin and his face fat. He changed it all. He bought new teeth, teeth that shone like snow on a winter's morning. His cheeks, cavernous under cheekbone implants, tapered to a shadowy V at his chin. His hair, the texture of shredded wheat, perched on his head like a loaf of bread. With his voluminous coiffure and artfully concealed stack heels, James was now a foot taller. When he looked at himself in his full-length mirror, dressed in his finery, he was almost satisfied. Not quite. Something dark gnawed at his insides. The blot of a specific failing pressed through his clothes. It dimmed his teeth and flattened his hair. He looked in the mirror and saw frightened eyes and a sexless body, folds of powdery skin at the joints. When James looked into the mirror, he saw a man-sized baby. Well, today he was going to change all of that. Give me the narwhal, he said. The assistant acquiesced. Very well, sir. If you would just like to sign the contract there beneath the stamp, and there is a disclaimer I would ask you to pay particular attention to. James signed the form with a flourish, his eyes never leaving the assistant's face. The assistant blushed and fell away, sloping into an adjoining room without turning his back on his customer. Almost as soon as he had left the room, a surgeon, already masked and gowned, his vulcanised fingers carried before him, entered the room. His enormous smile seemed visible through the mask. James was mildly concerned that he was wearing leopard-skin trousers beneath his surgical gown. He put it from his mind. James had exceptional focus. Mr. Town, he said in a bright voice, how can I assist you? I'm having the narwhal, said James. Yes, my assistant has told me as much. Tell me, Mr. Town, what do you know about technophalloplasty? As much as anyone, said James. I know about the 93% success rate. I've read your literature. I also know that your post-operative efficacy is miles ahead of the competition. So I'm doing what I always do, getting with the guy in front. Indeed, said the surgeon. And it's the particular guy in front that you have chosen. That's the problem, Mr. Town. May I be frank? Please, he said. Mr. Town, you have a tiny penis. Okay, said James. It's what we call a micropenis. It really is quite astonishingly small and something of a medical curiosity. Uh-huh, said James. I'd like to do some tests on it. For one thing, I'm not even sure how you're able to pass water. It must spray out like a drinking fountain. Yes, I have a small penis, said James. That is why I'm here. You perform penis enhancements. That is what this clinic is for, is it not? Quite so, Mr. Town, quite so. Your word, enhanced. In order to give you your penis of choice, the narwhal, we would not be performing an enhancement. It would be like grafting another limb onto you. The connectivity just isn't there. 
while your new penis is made of an attractive, wiped clean synthetic flesh and operated by a sophisticated hydraulic system, we will still need to be able to map it onto your body, and I'm afraid that the base is just too wide to offer that level of comparative functionality. James uncrossed his legs and sat forward. Would I be able to satisfy any woman? Mr. Town, satisfying a woman sexually is rather more sophisticated process than mere equine thrusting. It requires, would I be able to satisfy any woman? said James firmly. Yes, depending on the setting, said the surgeon. But I would advise... James cut him off short. Now all me, he said. Recuperation was difficult and uncomfortable. James had taken a month's holiday and spent two weeks of it in a private hospital. Physiotherapists helped him with balance and taught him how to walk again. James lived in fear of ripped stitches, of torn skin or hernia. His new penis was placed in a hammock-like contrivance and pressed flat against his stomach. Urine was painlessly extracted via a catheter until his stitches had healed. The new penis was a dead weight, tugging lifelessly away from his belly. Mr. Bofar, his surgeon, had not allowed him to turn it on until the stitches had healed, and he spent a frustrating fortnight watching television in a backless gown in his comfortable and sanitary room. The fourteenth day of his incarceration was Narwhal Day. James sat with his legs spread on the bed, the tails of his gown thrown over his shoulders. Between his legs was a quiver of cotton wadding stuck to his belly by a girdle of adhesive tape. Bofar pulled gingerly at the fastenings. They peeled off slowly, taking with them the stippled new hairs from James' shaved groin. He winced. As the last piece was inched away from his stomach, the bundle of wadding fell forward, lowering like a drawbridge, and there, suddenly, was James's new penis. Mr. Bofar caught it in both hands as it nodded towards the floor. He gently draped it over James's thigh. The two men made eye contact, and the surgeon noted his patient's tears. Mr. Town, are you all right? Is there any discomfort? It's beautiful said James. It was a handsome-looking organ, hanging over James's leg like a dozing python on a branch. It seemed dangerous and powerful, even in repose. A shaft of light caught the realistic plastiflesh skin, and it almost seemed to stir, its slumbering head glinting gently in the soft morning light. Its flanks were scribbled with a tube map of veins, scaled up to complement the penis's Brobadingium dimensions. It was a penis by way of one of Michelangelo's forearms. James began to stroke the sleeping thing like a pet, running his hands over its hard, ridged back until Bofar coughed. <clears throat> when can I turn it on, Doc? said James, a child on Christmas morning. I'm a surgeon, Mr. Town, not a doctor, and I'm afraid you won't be able to turn it on today. I merely wanted to check your progress, and actually you're doing very well. But I'm afraid we're going to have to pack you up again. Once that has been done, you are free to go home. 
under the strict proviso that you do not turn yourself on for another two weeks. Oh, but not for another two weeks, Mr. Town. James pouted. All right, if you say so. Marvellous, said Mr. Bofar. He moved towards the door and turned. Excuse me, Mr. Town, do you have any further questions? A foreskin, said James. Does it come with a foreskin? It's in the box, said Bofar. Screws on to the end? Splendor de Grassi, dripping from the shower in mismatched Egyptian cotton towels, pressed a button, and the flattened image of her agent appeared on the phone, pixelating madly about the eyes. Hello, Alex, she said. I was in the shower. How come I'm always in the shower when you call? She adjusted her towel, and a thin sliver of caramel skin striped her body for a moment. Alex stuttered loudly on the speaker. Sheer coincidence, Splendor, my darling. I must have a lucky face. It doesn't look lucky, she tutted, loosing her long dark hair from its towel and allowing the sleek curls to bounce down around her shoulders. It looks distinctly unfortunate. Are you ringing about work? Another tasty ten percent commission for Alex for sitting on your doughy ass and picking up the phone? Is your hands free set, Degrassi? And there's a bit more to it than that. I have to count the money when it comes in. You're a funny guy, Alex, for a flesh peddler. Who have you sold me to this time? Alex smiled. He wore his untrustworthiness as a mask. Deceit shone from his face as physically as sweat. It made Splendor trust him. You could always tell when Alex was lying. He was facing you. You're like this one, Splendor. Millionaire, Knightsbridge, home delivery. Whole night? Whole night and breakfast. Any specials? Nope, he just asked for somebody who was experienced and I thought of you. I'll try and take that as a compliment, said Splendor, as she padded off to her bedroom. I'll send the usual taxi, he shouted after her. Hello, Splendor. Nice night for it. Marcus, the taxi driver, was early. He stood in her hallway, chewing on a matchstick and grinning his perfect grin. His teeth shone out of the gloom like the first and last glimpse of a shark. Splendor grabbed cigarettes and keys, dragging them across the hall table, and sachet passed him and into the car outside. Marcus continued his one-sided conversation in the car, his smile as disembodied as a Cheshire cat's in the rear-view mirror. So who is it tonight, beautiful? Pretty lush address, yeah? Is it a celebs? Anyone I heard of? Politician? Got to be. Will I be seeing you in the tabloids? Splendor scowled in the back seat, applying powder to her already immaculately rendered cheeks. I would never kiss and tell, she said. Oh, oh? Professional ethics, she said. I earn too much to risk my reputation. You don't sell a story until you finish writing it, darling. Marcus's eyes appeared in the mirror. Big, sad and brown, they undermined his rakish grin completely. You're some woman, Splendor. Any more like you at home? I never had a home, she said.
snapping her compact shut. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They arrived outside James's townhouse. The brass plaque on the door read, Townhouse. This is where I get off, said Splendor, ignoring Marcus's rolled eyes, and she demurely removed herself from the car. He watched her trot up the steps, her bottom swinging like a pendulum. She whispered something into her intercom. The buzzer sounded. She opened the door and went in. And that was the end of Marcus's obligation to her. He gave a rueful last look at the large ornate door in the large ornate house that had swallowed her up and then started the car. The radio was already crackling with his next set of instructions. Splendour climbed the marble staircase to the flat. A fringed bell pool hung by the door, so she gave it a yank. The familiar chimes of Big Ben sounded. You really can't buy class, she thought. An elderly man in a red dress jacket let her in. His long grey face expressed precisely nothing. Indeed, he didn't seem to notice his surroundings at all, answering the door as a mere Pavlovian imperative, his regard for the rest of the world foggy and peripheral. Even objects directly in his pathway seemed invisible to him as he trudged through the hallway. As the next room's chief object seemed to be the balancing of fragile ceramics on spindly tables, this could have been problematic. As they pushed into another room, he turned, acknowledging her for the first time. 
The master will be with you shortly, he intoned. Do you require any refreshment? A brandy, perhaps? Calvados? A Gibson? A Gibson sounds nice, said Splendor. He looked at her, his roomy eyes like a boiled fish's. I'm afraid we have no pickled onions, ma'am. His voice was sepulchral. This was a pickled onion situation from beyond the grave. I'm so sorry, said Splendor. A whisky will be fine. He retreated, his feet shuffling, knees seemingly locked. There were rucks in the carpet like vapour trails. Splendor imagined the drink would never come. Hello. Splendor turned to see a figure propped up against the door frame, dressed in a kimono and canary yellow silk pajamas. The John, she thought. And he didn't disappoint. She looked him over with a careful professional eye, hair plugs and some kind of weave. Work done on his eyes, chin and possibly his forehead. The cheekbones were ridiculous but looked expensive and he appeared to have lifts in his slippers. There was something odd about his posture, too. He had one leg crossed over the other, but his head dipped forward and to one side, almost as a counterweight. In all, he looked very uncomfortable. Fortunately, Splendor was practised in the comforting arts. Hello yourself, she purred, and her hips hit slink mode mid-step as she padded across the carpet. You must be Mr. Town. And you must be the answer to my prayers. I'm an answer to your phone call and credit card details, she said. And my name is Splendor, by the way. You haven't asked. This last sentence was spoken with her fingers on his lips and staring deeply into his eyes. He was sweating and pale, his lustrous fringe clinging to his forehead. You okay, baby? she said. You sure you're up to this? Oh, yes, he said. Let's hope you are. She rolled her eyes. I'm sure you can't show me anything I haven't seen before. He smiled faintly and took her by the hand, leading her into the bedroom. It was enormous. Most of the light in the room came from a giant backlit aquarium opposite the bed. The room's mirrored ceiling reflecting the liquid shadows of the peekaboo marine life. Bubbles appeared above the headboard, the water refracting light, tiny constellations forming and reforming. It was beautiful. He dropped her hand and limped over to the bed, where he sat, legs akimbo on the edge. Take your clothes off, he said. She shrugged and slipped her dress from her shoulders. It fell around her feet and she neatly sidestepped it. She stood naked before him, powerful and impregnable, the aquarium's light teeming over her perfect body, picking out the shaded promontories of her hips, the well of her navel, the swell of her breasts. James began to feel that even now he would be unable to satisfy her. She was too self-contained, too perfect. He would never be able to find purchase on that smooth, solid body standing before him, dappled in green and blue, her hands on her perfect hips. Okay, baby, she said. What did you have in mind? James pushed a hand through the vent in his pyjamas and felt beneath the shaft of his penis. 
He pressed a small button, and his fears melted away as sensual warmth washed over him. His penis stirred into life. He was careful to support it with his crossed leg as he felt its pulsing strength vibrating through his thigh muscle. As the hydraulics powered through it, he could relax. He wouldn't have to worry. The penis would do all the work. He pressed a second button and the penis began to jack upwards. What the hell is that? said Splendor. Impressive, isn't it? said James. What the hell have you done to yourself? she said. I bet you haven't seen anything like that before. Not outside of a vacuum cleaner catalogue. Come here, he ordered. You're not putting that thing near me. Come here, he said. But she didn't. Instead, she gathered up her clothes, pressing them against herself as she backed over to the door. James started to panic. It wasn't working. She was more annoyed than anything. He picked a professional to try out the penis because he was worried about exactly this sort of reaction. What chance did he have with other women? Then it hit him in a flash of inspiration. She wasn't afraid, afraid. She just wasn't turned on enough. My God, she was insatiable. Perhaps she had never been satisfied. Until now. He reached once again for the base of his throbbing penis and found a third button. A sudden surge of power ripped through the member. Veins stood exposed like ribs down its sides as it growled, towering over him, peering imperiously like a periscope and forcing him back flat onto the bed. The power reverberated through his pelvis, dull and insistent, numbing. He felt something being torn, loosely, distantly. He gripped the bedsheets as Splendor fumbled for the doorknob. The penis stared down at James, the slow, blinking cat's eye momentarily serene. Then, with a scream, it lurched forward horribly, ripping silk and flesh, a fat arc of blood left in its wake as it pushed on, James's skin hanging in ribbons from its flanks as he lay back on the bed, knuckles white against the reddening sheets, his groin the black of negative space, a ragged hole gaping through the yellow silk, his abdomen blotted with blood, his teeth clenched, his scream a vaporous hiss. The narwhal roared across the floor, head up and out the open door. Splendor ran back into the bedroom and slammed the door behind her, bracing herself, flat-palmed against it. In the other room, the penis could be heard angrily buzzing like a trapped wasp and knocking over James's collection of ceramics. After a few minutes, she turned her attention to the man on the bed. She stole towards him. He was making wheezing noises and his teeth chattered. His groin had stopped arcing blood, but a huge black slick lay before him, a wet shadow clotting into the carpet. His eyes were half-closed, and he was cold and slick. There was nothing she could think to say. The next time the doctor says wait a month, I'll bloody well listen, he said with a weak smile. When did you get out of hospital, she said. She couldn't think of anything else to say. This morning he said. I'm sorry. I just couldn't wait. His eyes welled with tears. By the time they reached the pillow, he was dead.
Inside John Patrick Higgins was brought to you by the colour blue and the letter G. Written and performed by John Patrick Higgins, it was produced and edited by Graham Watson. Thank you.